Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. We thank you so much for your generosity this morning and thank those on the platform for your ministry. What a blessing it is to be uh, together, gathered here in this place. We appreciate every one of you uh, so much. We want to open up our Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis and chapter 45. I've been preaching recently out of the book of Acts. And uh, for the last few weeks, our Bible reading plan has been taking us through the book of Acts. But at the same time, we've been, uh, we've been making our way through the end of the book of Genesis. And um, I was reminded, as we were reading in our Bible reading plan, if you want to get uh, connected with that as well, uh, please let us know. We'd be happy to send you a link where you can uh, join us in the Version Bible app uh, and read the Bible along with us. We also have uh, that in a paper format if you're not an app smartphone kind of person, that's okay. We love you anyways. Hallelujah. But we have, a, we have also a, a, a sheet with, with uh, all of the, the same readings that you can follow along uh, in your Bible. Um, and so God is faithful to use his word to inspire us. And so I uh, want to encourage you to be a part of that. But uh, this Bible reading plan has also taken us through the end of the book of Genesis and the story of the life of Joseph. And what a powerful story uh, his life is. Joseph is not just a story in a book, but he is a historical man that existed and has so many powerful lessons for people of faith. Uh, one of them that I want to share with you this morning, uh, not only is Joseph a powerful example of the, a life of faith, I believe Joseph also represents to us a type or a figure, a parallel of a Messiah. And we're going to see that this morning, how the life of Joseph gives us deeper understanding into the, the, the salvation and the power of Jesus Christ. We're going to read that together in Genesis chapter 45. So there was... Um, a story from Pastor Kevin Baker that came out in our church podcast a couple of weeks ago. And uh, before Pastor Kevin Baker uh, in Stark, Florida, before he was a pastor, he was a Navy rescue swimmer. Some of you guys know what that means. Uh, I I didn't really know what that meant, but uh, in the Navy, these rescue swimmers, they are... uh, they, they claim to be on par with Navy SEALs. They're, they're tough guys, and they train these men uh, to literally jump in the water. If somebody's in the water, and uh, be able to rescue them and pull them out and bring them back to safety from a spinning helicopter above. Pastor Kevin Baker had a, uh, had a situation uh, back in the 1990s where he was on duty, and they, the, the ship that he was on received a rescue call from a sailboat that was down in the upper uh, Atlantic region off the coast of the United States. And so this ship responded. It took them uh, about 
if they, were, they were within range, so uh, he gets on a helicopter. They fly, and it's, it's a few minutes away by helicopter. The ship begins to turn, and so there they are. There's a sailboat that is capsized in the middle of a nor'easter. This is in winter. It's very cold. The swell of the waves was close to 20 feet. Uh, think of that, 20-foot waves, a wind-blowing, hurricane-level type of weather, but it's super cold. So Kevin Baker, he, he, they look down, and they see three people in the water. The ship has capsized. And so his job is to get those people into the helicopter. And he jumped in, and he did what he was trained to do. And by the end of that uh, situation, he nearly drowned himself, but... Uh, he was able to rescue, uh, all in his own strength, one at a time, was able to keep them above water, keep them from dying, and they all lived to tell the story. What a powerful uh, story that was. And he actually received, um, I'm forgetting which medal he received, but signed by President Bill Clinton at the time. He received uh, recognition for his efforts, his life-saving efforts. And uh, even to this day, you can, uh, I, I checked out his story to make sure it was true. <laughs> and I went, I found the, the medal that he won, and sure enough, there it was, signed by President Bill Clinton at the time. He was awarded a, 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 a hero uh, award. Uh, and, uh, and so what I want to share with you this morning is that those people in the water, I want you to think about that. They, there was no, uh, there was no requirement for them to receive the life-saving efforts. In other words, as the Navy goes to save those people in the water, they're not thinking, are these people worthy to be saved or not? They, they, they looked at those people, saw they're still alive. They said, we're willing to risk our lives to pull them out of the water. There's no requirements. So they said, we're going we're gonna to do our best to save these people. Also, at the same time, uh, that there was, uh, there was no way for them to th- save themselves. They were in a life-threatening situation. And unless a helicopter had come and a trained Navy rescue swimmer was able to come and help them get out, they could not have saved themselves. Can we agree on those two things? There was no requirement for them to be saved. Also, there was no way for them to save themselves. In the same way, this morning, we as the human race, we find ourselves in a similar situation. We find ourselves drowning in an ocean of sin. We find ourselves drowning in an ocean of trouble. And when God looks at humanity, aren't you grateful that He's not picking and choosing based upon skin color, uh, amount of money in the bank, how valuable we are to the kingdom? No, He's saying if people are dying, they are worthy of salvation. He's looking at us this morning with a heart of redemption and rescue. But at the same time, we have to realize we cannot save ourselves. That in the same way that these people are drowning in the middle of a a hurricane in the Atlantic Nor'easter, that there was no way, unless somebody stepped in to help them, it was certain that they were going to, uh, to, to die. In the same way this morning, there's a lot of people around us, and perhaps even here this morning, that unless a Savior comes in to rescue you, you will not be saved. And so the truth is, this morning, there are none so bad that they cannot be saved, And there are none so good that they don't need salvation. We all find ourselves between those two extremes. And so because God still cares about us, that's 
perhaps the greatest miracle of all. He knows who we are, and he still cares about us. And uh, because he does, he has gone to great lengths to provide salvation through the blood that we sang about this morning. And one of the illustrations that we find for this salvation is in the life of Joseph. The life of Joseph is a picture, it is a prophecy, and it is a portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we say that? Well, uh, think about Joseph for a few moments, just the overview of his life. First, Joseph was a beloved son, right? He was the favorite of his father out of 12 brothers. Uh, he, was, uh, he was the beloved son. Guess who else is a beloved son? Jesus. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten or beloved son, Jesus. Secondly, he is a suffering servant. Uh, Joseph uh, was sent to his brethren, scorned and shamed by his own brothers, and suffered at their hands. Isn't it also true that Jesus was scorned, rejected by uh, even the ones that were his brothers, by the Jewish people? We have Joseph as an exalted, sovereign leader. We know that Joseph is taken out of the pit, finally after years, out of the prison, and he is exalted. And they, uh, Pharaoh found, it, uh, found, it, found him worthy of, of a promotion and said, can we find such a man as this in whom is the Spirit of God? And he was promoted to viceroy or, or uh, he was a second in command of all of Egypt. Isn't it also true? Jesus is a sovereign king over all the nations. And so we find also Joseph in our scripture. We're going to read here in a moment. Now that he has been exalted to a place of prominence and power, that he is not going to misuse that position, but Joseph is, in this story, he is a seeking Savior. As his brothers, the very ones who had rejected him and scorned him, come before him to his throne room. And they they don't recognize him, but he sees them. We see Joseph now with a heart to redeem to restore a broken relationship. And in that story, we find a great portrait of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's read it together, starting with Genesis 45, beginning with verse 1, where it says, Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Let's pray. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the illustration of your grace, compassion, your mercy, and your salvation found in the story of Joseph. I pray you bless it this morning as we hear it. Lord, let our hearts be reminded that you are a seeking Savior. God, you never stop seeking us. And we're praying this morning, God, that we would be found by you. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. I want to say, first of all, Joseph shows to us the principle of compassion. Now, if you or I, if we found ourselves in such a position, as there uh, Joseph is standing in the place of power, prominence, he's been exalted to vice president of Egypt, and he's got all the right and all the authority to destroy these people before him. His brothers are the ones who come to face him, and uh, these are the same brothers that years ago, the same brothers who sold him into slavery, the same brothers who lied about him, 
telling their father that he was dead. The same brothers who turned their back on him in his greatest time of need. What would you do if you had some brothers like that? I had a brother growing up. I'll tell you what I did. (laughs) If my brother turned against me, I'm going to turn against him right quick. And so uh, if I was in a place, a position of prominence, you know what? Uh, That's the time, that's when the human nature says, revenge, retribution, let them taste a little bit of what I felt. Let's put them in the prison. Let's see how they do for 20 years. But isn't it amazing that Joseph does not seek retribution? His brothers are before him, and the only thing that he can feel for them is beautiful compassion. I want to tell you this morning that this shows us something about God, shows us something about our Savior, that His love, His mercy, His compassion is greater even than your sins. You ought to think about that for a while. Romans 3, verse 11 says, There there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. This shows us the brothers, right? That, That when it was revealed that this was Joseph standing before them, their first thought was, we're doomed. We're dead. It's been eating away at their conscience for the last 20 plus years, what they did to Joseph. And now he's in the position to destroy us. And they're fearful. That's because that's exactly how it is with many people today. This is why a lot of people don't want to come to church. They assume that if they darken the door of a church, that there will be thunderbolts and lightning, and that there will be a torment, because uh, many people stay away from God the same way a mouse stays away from the cat. Because they know there is certain doom and danger if they are found by Him. But aren't you glad... Joseph shows us the compassion of God. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for the unrighteous, for the ungodly. That's where salvation begins. It begins with the compassion of God that he even has the time of day for you. That he even has a thought in his holy brain about your wicked life. That is a miracle this morning. When Joseph, verse uh, 7, chapter 42, verse 7, this is the first time Joseph sees his brothers and recognizes them. They don't know it's him, though. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. And he said, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. That phrase, when it says that he acted as a stranger to them, it means that he was not immediately going to reveal himself to them. He spoke roughly to them. Why? Because he was deep down, his heart was beating with compassion toward them. Chapter 42, verse 24 says he turned himself away from them and wept. In fact, as he's seeing them, uh, he's not thinking the thoughts of retribution and revenge. Secretly, he goes away and he begins to weep tears of joy. He wept and he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took one of them, Simeon, and bound him before their eyes. He was speaking roughly. So we have this very strange moment where inside the heart of Joseph, he's so happy and he's so joyful that these are my brothers. But when he's before their face, he speaks roughly to them. And he, in fact, he, uh, he arrests them and begins to, to treat them harshly in their view. Isn't this interesting? We just talked this morning 
about how God, in our, in our Sunday school, about how God allows adversity in our lives. And we, we in, in those times, you know, we go through trouble and trials and tribulations. Maybe I'm the only one. And in those times, we say, hey, God, where are you? Are you anywhere? Can you hear my prayers? People in Ukraine right now probably praying prayers like that. God, can you hear my prayers still? Because there's bloodshed, there's people dying, there's bombs exploding. And it's easy for us in those times to say, God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? The brothers in that moment can say, oh man, this guy's he's going to kill us. He's going to kill us all. But inside, his heart was beating for compassion. He had a purpose and he had a plan behind it all. And it was to bring salvation. Isn't it true that God, God has a purpose and a plan for salvation? The worst thing, listen carefully, the worst thing that could happen to a hell-bound sinner would be to live a life of ease with no difficulty, no pain, and no problems. There's a reason why God allows difficulty and circumstance. Sometimes it wakes us up. It was a famine, in fact, that brought these brothers to, to Egypt. Otherwise, if everything would have been hunky-dory, if everything would have been fine and they'd been fat and happy, they would have never even found their way to Egypt. They were following their empty stomachs. They said, we heard there's bread in Egypt. And that's how they got there in the first place. It was a famine. They had a hunger. They had needs. They were in trouble. And now, uh, here's Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph. And they're begging and pleading, please help us, don't kill us. Sometimes we find ourselves, think about what it was like before you got saved. You found yourself at the end of your rope. Isn't that the, the same testimony you've heard again and again? And I was at the end of my rope, and God reached out and saved me. God allows us to get into trouble. This is why when you pray for backsliders, when you pray for people who know what's right but have gone away from the truth, when you pray for, for wandering church kids who are not living for God, when you pray for them, listen, don't, we don't always pray, you know, God keep them safe, yes, but sometimes God, do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to bring them to you, Lord, even if it means trouble. The heartaches, the difficulties, the disappointments, the pain is the cord, it is the rope that God uses to draw us toward himself even as joseph is playing this plan out before them he's speaking to them roughly but he's so overwhelmed with emotions that he has to leave the room and weep for a time no matter what the appearance may seem i want to tell you there's a god in heaven and even though you may not feel his presence even though you may not feel his victory in the moment i want to tell you there's a god who's weeping over you joseph was weeping tears of joy God demonstrates His own love. This is Romans 5.8 toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. So let's look then at conviction. Because nobody is saved apart from a conviction of sin. Look at uh, verse 3 of our Scripture. Genesis 45, verse 3. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him. They were dismayed in his presence. What does that mean? They were afraid. Oh, no. Are you telling me, you, the second in command of all of Egypt, you are the brother that we betrayed? They were dismayed 
and very afraid. They were terrified and they had stunned. Why? Because for 20 years they had remembered how they had abused Joseph. They refused to listen to his cries for help. They had pretended that he was dead and lied to their family about him. Joseph, if he wanted to, he could have them put to death at this very moment. And so they knew that. And they were trembling at his presence. Can I tell you something about the church today? The fear of God is missing in the lives of many Christians. The, the prosperity gospel has preached a message that it, you, know, you just, you just uh, come to church and you're just going to be blessed and wealthy and happy and, and uh, you're going to have a Rolls Royce and you're going to have the finest suits and you're going to wear the nicest clothes and, and oh, God help us, God deliver us. That's a God who's a genie in a bottle. That's not the God of the Bible. That's a false gospel. What we desperately need today is the, is the God of, of, uh, of the preachers of old. That when they preach, the fear of God would fall upon the congregations. That we would be convicted in our sins. That we would seek the Lord while He may yet be found. It is said that when uh, Jonathan Edwards preached his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You, you don't hear that sermon too often on a Sunday morning anymore. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he described how, how because of our sins, that we are, we are suspended ever so precariously over a pit which leads to destruction. And only the spider web threads of God's grace are what prevent us from falling in despair. And as he preached, he was an old man as he preached. He was 80 plus years old. And they said that his vision was weak. He was bent over the pulpit. And he was preaching from prepared notes. But as he was there preaching, the conviction of God fell upon the audience and they began grasping on to the columns and the pillars of the room around him, fearing that they would fall into the pit of God's judgment. Today we have smiley preachers with slick back hair. You're beautiful people. Every day of Friday, you're beautiful. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. What happens when we truly have a fear or a respect, a healthy respect for the judgment and the power of God? I'll tell you what happens. We'll repent and we will come into right relationship with Him. No one who has ever been saved who was not first convicted of his sin. 1 Timothy 1.15 This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. That's the Apostle Paul. Uh, right? If anybody could say that, you know, that God had really helped them in their life, it was Paul. And he realizes here as he's writing to Timothy, he says, you know what, when I look back on my life of sin... I was the chief of sinners. I was the worst of them all. And God still had mercy on me. That's because he was convicted of his sin. God knocked him off of his high horse of pride. He realized the error of his ways and he was blinded so that he could see again. Have you been convicted of your sins this morning? These brothers felt the fear of the wrath of the man standing before them. 
I want to tell you, yes, we serve a God who is loving, gracious, and merciful. But before you can know His love, His grace, His mercy, you have to know He is a holy God, a righteous God, full of justice and truth. You can't have one without the other. And that's what the American church has preached. We've preached the love and mercy, but we've preached it to people who don't know that they're sinners. Before you can be found, you have to be lost. Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus tells a parable about a man who stood and prayed with himself. And he said, Lord, thank you that I'm not like this guy over here. And the guy who was over here that was praying next to him, a tax collector, one who was hated by the people around him. And the prayer of that tax collector was, God, be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. I'm not right with you. And Jesus compares those two prayers and he asks, which one walks away from their prayer time being justified before the Lord? Obviously, it's the tax collector because he recognized his own sin before the Lord. Be merciful to me. The man who failed to admit his own need went home still in his sin. He might have been dignified. He was not justified. And that describes many believers, in, many so-called believers in many churches on Sunday morning in America today. We might be dignified, but we may not be justified. We think we've got it all together because we know how to sing the songs and we know how to put on a tie. And we know how to clap our hands when the time is right. But maybe, like these brothers, maybe we should remember the God of judgment. Have you ever been under the conviction of sin? I pray you have because it's only then that we will seek His mercy. Let's look at conversion. Thank God that He still cares about us. Remember, Joseph, deep down, his heart is beating for reconciliation, but he's showing to them this heart of of, conversion. of being harsh. In order to be saved, we have to come to Him. In other words, salvation is not God twisting your arm until you say, Uncle. Salvation is us coming to recognition and realization that we're broken and we need to be fixed. The, the answer here is not, is not Joseph putting his boot on their face until they say, please save us. The answer is that they need to cry out to Him. Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Salvation can only happen by the grace of God. And here in our story, Genesis 45, verse 4, uh, you read it, you'll see that those brothers... They had sold Joseph into slavery, and yet God had a purpose through it all. Joseph's Joseph's point of view has changed over the years. He might have been angry early on, but now he realizes, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good, to display his own power and to provide for the nations, he goes on to say. Joseph was not minimizing their sin. He was not excusing it. But what he was doing is emphasizing how God has a purpose. Oh, I want to tell you, when you look at the cross, when you look at salvation, when you look at the blood of Jesus, you'll see the high price that was paid so that sins can be finally dealt with. Calvary was God's greatest victory. And it is because of the blood of Jesus, because 
of that violent act of torment on that day when Christ suffered in His own body the penalty for your sins and for mine. That's why we can be brought near to Him. Genesis 45, verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. Come near to me. He had paid the price in his own life. He had, uh, he had processed the pain and the guilt and those feelings of revenge. And he, by the grace of God, he overwhelms. And he says, come near to me. So he came near to them. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. That moment, those brothers had a decision to make. When they came to him, listen, they were the ones taking those steps. They were the ones making a decision. Is he just trying to trick us so he can... Or am I going to put my trust that Joseph is truly, is truly one who wants to redeem? They were the ones who walked near to him. I want to tell you, this, the call from heaven is the same. Come near. Come near. Isn't it true that Jesus said, come unto me? All who are weary, all who are burdened, all who are broken and bound in our sins, He says, come unto Me. We come to Jesus because it's their faith. And after they came near to Him, Joseph shares his plan that God was doing a good work. 45, verse 6, These two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvesting. And God sent Me before you to preserve posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Aren't you glad Brother Andre defined what a posterity is this morning? God was the one preserving their future. Joseph was in charge because God had put him there. And it's because of their preservation. It's all possible because of Joseph. Oh, I want to tell you it's all possible today because of Jesus. That we might not see the purpose and the plan behind everything that happens. Oh, but Jesus is moving. Jesus is working. He is preparing a plan for this broken world. How do we come to Jesus? It's by His grace. And we come through faith. And when we come to Him, then our lives must be transformed. We come to do good works as we bow our knees and serve the Lord. Once we give our hearts to God, then it becomes our job to confess Him openly and publicly. It's confession. Joseph tells his brothers that he had forgiven them and he restored them. But now there's others that are important in this plan of salvation. Verse 4, Genesis 45, verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother. In this passage, Joseph is saying, come close to me. But then if you skip to verse 9... Look what he says next. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down and do not tarry. So if we shorten this and make it simple, the first thing he says to his brothers is, come near. The next thing he says is, go and tell others. Isn't that true of us this morning? Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You cannot call yourself a believer. You cannot call yourself a Christian, which means to follow Christ, unless you've done both of those things and are doing both of those things. Come near to me so that you can go into all the world. 
The message that Joseph put in the mouths of his brothers. They were once rejected by him, right? God had raised him up on high. And Joseph now has the name that is above every other name, besides Pharaoh, in Egypt. The world is now at his feet. He is the one who has all the resources to divvy out to the nations. And now he has granted these brothers forgiveness for their past sins. And what does Joseph want from them now? Go and tell somebody. Go and tell my father and my other brother that I've not met yet. His message is, there's good news in Egypt. Oh, I have some good news for you this morning. We are called to proclaim this gospel, this good news for the whole world. Just yesterday, I spoke to a young man. We went to our Walmart outreach. Thank God for Walmart. I am telling you, there are, it is our most fruitful uh, it is our most fruitful fishing hole. And we've cast in that line. I'm telling you, there are people at Walmart that need Jesus. I spoke to this young man. I'm praying God will bring him to these services. His name was Jordan, 18 years old. He told me, first thing he said to me was that his mother had been praying for him. I said, maybe that's why I'm talking to you right now. And uh, he had never heard the message of the gospel. He had been to church, but he had never heard the gospel. And as he's standing there before me, I could see the connections happening in his mind. That he was a sinner, that Christ died to pay the price for his sins. See, I want to tell you, I love preaching. I thank God for this opportunity to speak the word of God. But my favorite thing in all the world is to preach the gospel to somebody who has never heard it before. There is nothing more rewarding, nothing more satisfying. That should be our lives. As we come near to the Lord, that we should go out once again and proclaim His gospel. Let's close and look at communion. Oh, thank God, we have been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've been commissioned. Why? So that we can experience fellowship and relationship with our King. After this happens in our Scripture, Joseph and his brothers begin to have a party. They begin to catch up with one another. Oh, they began to hug and weep and talk and fill in all the details of what Joseph had missed in the last 20 years. Isn't it amazing? You know, you can't have a time of fellowship if Joseph was constantly holding it over their heads. Oh, yeah? Well, maybe you shouldn't have crossed me. Oh, I'm sure you had a great time with Dad, who thinks I'm dead. Right? That wouldn't have been a very good party. But Joseph didn't do that. Joseph was genuinely interested and curious about what was happening, his heart leaped with the news that he has a brother that he hasn't met. And he begins to say, we need to find him. We need to bring him. This is what communion can do. I want to tell you, we have some brothers that we haven't met yet. We have some sisters at Walmart that we don't know that God wants to reach into their lives. And it is only through communion and fellowship. You know, I'm preaching right now, and I'm looking at the remnants of a party we had on Friday night. There's a piece of popcorn on the pulpit up here. God wants us to come together, have a fun time, man. Get to know one another. God wants us to experience fellowship with God and with one another. He wants to hear us talk to Him and be with Him so that He can speak to us. And can I tell you, God's not going to be the one who holds it over your head. Oh, yeah? You think you're a Christian, do you? Then how come this, that, this? See, that's the voice of the enemy. 
God desires to fellowship with us. He wants more than just servants. He desires friendship. He brings us close so that we can experience His presence. And finally, compensation. (laughs) God saves us entirely by grace and then He enriches us and supplies us for service. God is going to fill up their sacks with grain. Uh, Joseph is going to uh, he's going to fill up uh, all of their donkeys and their camels, and he's going to load them up with supplies, and he's going to send them on their way. I want to tell you, the reason, as I mentioned earlier, the reason why we get blessed by God is because he's got a job for us. He's now calling them, not, not, uh, they're, not just, uh, they're not just people that are serving Joseph, they're his brothers. Their guilt has been blotted out. Joseph introduces now his, his brothers to the Pharaoh. Isn't that amazing? He comes to the Pharaoh, the guy who's given him all of this authority. He says, look, Pharaoh, these are my brothers. And they gain honor because of that. The Pharaoh honors them. Oh, the Lord is not ashamed to call us brothers. The Lord, it pleases the Lord to share his glory with his brothers and sisters. He being our elder brother, our savior. And it says in Romans that we will share in the inheritance which belongs to the Savior, Jesus Christ. That's crazy, y'all. The resources of the throne of the mightiest nation are laid at the brother's feet. If they need anything, all they need, all they need to do, anything you need, just ask in the name of Joseph, and you'll have it. Anything you might need for your journey, just ask, and in the name of Joseph, you'll receive it. I want to tell you, our Joseph, if you ask anything in his name, according to his will, there is nothing. What is that song? There is nothing that I need that he won't provide. As Christians, we call upon the name of Jesus. Romans 10, 12, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Y'all are looking rich this morning in the name of Jesus. He commissioned them, and he said, no, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink, because I'm going to give you everything that you need. Can I tell you? We don't need to worry about our lives. We don't need to worry about our stuff, our possessions. We don't need, Jesus is going to provide. I didn't say he's going to give you everything you want. I said he will provide everything you need. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Colossians 2.10. You are complete in Him. My God, Philippians 4.19, shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory. So why are we tapping on the window on Black Friday? I need that. Do you? No matter who you are, what you may have done, I want to tell you, The way that Joseph cared for his brothers and restored them to fellowship is the way that Jesus loves you and is willing to restore fellowship. Let me ask you, do you know him personally? You can pray to him today. And I challenge you to experience the fellowship and the blessing of knowing Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we bring this service to a close. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, 
and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.